As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Overhearing factually incorrect footballing statements, optimum neck angles, unofficial seat reservation politics, the unique frustration of watching a member of bar staff scrolling through the available channels, how to style out a minute silence, the poison chalice of projector screens, and the general psychological torture of watching a game in a pub. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 102 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me, first of all, is Nick Miller. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Very well, thank you. Happy international break to you also, David Walker. Hello. So... Straight into the action, Dave. An urgent message from listener Alex White. At the Yeovil game on Saturday, a defender cleared a long ball with their head and someone in the crowd shouted, Hoof! <laughs> Can you hoof a header? <laughs> uh, you, no, you can't hoof a header. I, li- I do like the idea of it. I certainly like the idea of, hear- of being in that crowd and hearing that moment, but you can't. You can't hoof a header, can you? No, I mean, on a technical level, mm. I, I think we can safely say it's wrong. But, Nick, on a spiritual level, I mean, after, if the ball does go a certain distance, I imagine the the sentiment takes over, you know, ridiculing the other team for their tactics. Yes, but the, this this smacks of someone who is looking at their phone and then <laughs> looked up quickly to see the ball in midair and yeah. didn't actually see how it got there. Yeah. It would have also, to have been so- the most powerful. You have to really get underneath it and jump upwards to get the trajectory required for a hoof, I think. Uh, but, I mean, without getting, wishing to get too literal on this, a hoof is a hoof is on the foot. Oh, yeah, literally, yeah. yeah. Or oh, that no is the foot. There. So, yeah. you know. Mm. I mean, and, uh, you know... I've never actually, I've never actually really... joined the dots in my head before that, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you've learned something already. But yeah, I get the sentiment doesn't even work because, um, you know, even a booming header upfield can't be part of a team's game plan. So I think all round, um, not a good look for whoever shouted that at Yeovil on Saturday. Now, of course, with all due respect to Andorra's stadium catching fire, the so-called tournament, the Nations League, reaching its crescendo, perhaps the climax of the international weekend, Nick, was Ian Crocker and Ali McCoy's commentating on Scotland's win over Israel. Now, it's it's well established already just how brilliant it all was. Um, we're a little bit too late to that party, Nick, but I think it would be um, prudent of us to break it all down and really examine just how glorious it was. I offer you, first of all, Ian Crocker, who has become the kind of absolute voice of Scottish football, out of nowhere, absolutely synonymous with Scottish football. But here he is offering his attempts at the world record for a number of full stops while commentating <laughs> on the aftermath of a goal. Robertson, it's McGinn! Oh, and you know oh. what happens next? Oh, Joe McGinn, the main man for goals for Scotland, raising the hopes of a nation. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, it's like he's reading out the best telegram of his life. <laughs> Live telegram. I mean, I quite enjoyed that part of the commentary, but it felt like it was the commentary equivalent of a video that's kind of so close to buffering. Like it's it's playing and, it, and the bar is just at the same amount <laughs> that it's downloaded at all times. I, no, I really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. I read it, it I, in my head, it was like one of those tweets you see with the clap emojis in between... Every word. Yeah. <laughs> it also is it's just sort of smacked of a man who was very excited but hadn't he didn't know where he's going, which means he hasn't planned out yeah. what he was gonna say. I've started this way of talking to think. and I don't know quite when I can stop. <laughs> Every word exactly the same pitch as well. It can't go anywhere. It can't, it can't evolve the uh, the pitch. The whole thing is absolutely sensational. Um, we'll get onto his uh, stream of consciousness very shortly. Um, next up, this was um, tweeted by Scott McG88, Dave. He says, 88 minutes into a nervy must-win World Cup qualifier and the Scottish mentality is to forget about it and scream way at a linesman landing on his ass." A little more Patterson on the chase. He's got that. More dikes in the middle at the moment. Some referee took a tumble there. Now Ryan Christie. There's a few waiting for this. McKinn. More dikes in the middle at the moment. Some referee took a tumble there. the moment. Some referee took a tumble there. the moment. Two things here, Dave. As as uh, the man's Scott McG88 points out, it was it was just the 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 fact that everything stops to enjoy that moment. And secondly, the very specific sound of the way, which could only be a, uh, an official falling over. It's, you know, seasoned football listeners will know that sound. Yeah. And it was really quite a spectacular fall as well. It was flailing <laughs> arms and legs. But what I really liked about it was how how in an instant they were right back into the, the drama of the game. Yeah, because yeah. the, there was a chance straight after after the after the linesman had fallen over, and they were straight back into the oh, you know, the voices went straight up again. It's multitasking, if anything, mm. your ability to switch between um, streams of football consumption, Nick. That I, I'm quite impressed by. Yeah, it's, it was like it was a sort of um, you know, if you you 
you've got someone who's waiting for an exam or driving test or something like that, and they're incredibly nervous, and then you you try a little joke to break the tension. It was a little bit like that. So it may, maybe it was um, uh, intentional on the part of the the lino to just kind of calm the fans down a little bit. You know, I just, I mean, it, you know, we are required by law to react to these situations. So um, you know, I guess there was no alternative. So to the the real crux of the Crocker McCoist chemistry, Nick. Um, as I said, I really want to break this down into its individual sections so we can enjoy each of them in their individual glory. Um, let's take the goal itself first. Will it happen here for Scotland? It's John McGinn to float it in! Nick, I've been watching football for about 35 years and I've now decided that that very, very short pause between huge and massive is my favourite piece of commentary of all time. It's The thing is, I hadn't heard that before you, you played it and when yeah. he went when he went big and then he went huge, I, I thought, surely he's not going to say massive after this. <laughs> Can't be massive. That's too... I mean, I, I know this is, very, this is a, a very tired comparison, but it's too partridge. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's too much like that um, that Mitchell and Webb clip mm. where, uh, that always gets posted at the start of every season. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, just another example of uh, of a man who hadn't planned anything for for a moment like this and just had nowhere to go. I mean, Dave, we, no no quibbles with his escalation of the words there. I mean, that's the right order. I can't think of a word he's missed there. Big, huge, massive. Yeah, it feels right to me. Yeah, gigantic's a bit cartoony. I'm Colossal. He sort of mm. colossal would be good. He, he ends by saying, "This is Scotland three, Israel two. This, you just this is Scotland. You just have to go with it." And I think that very much sums up his whole approach to the to the evening. Yeah, absolutely. So that was part one of the goal reaction. There were little rumbles of McCoy's trying to get get his way in, as good all good co commentators should, especially when they're especially when they're well designed to own the moment. Um, uh, just after this, of course, he got his chance, Dave, for his initial reaction for the goal. This is where this is where the emotion came out rather than the analysis. Three absolutes there, I think, um, which is the right amount. But yeah, lovely stuff. That is as close to peak Andy Gray as I've heard from anyone. And obviously, obviously, you know, the Scottish thing is the main connection there. But we, we've obviously talked at length about McCoy's ability on co-coms before, but I don't think he's ever come close to this. Like just in full flow, the voice is breaking, but just enough to not make it sound shit. It's it sounds mm. good. There's a nice level of emotion in the voice. He's still deferential to his um, co-commentator to his commentator by slipping in, you know, calling him by name yep. in in the middle of it. You know, he's he, he's. He's taking it all in. He can hear what he's, he's saying. Listen to this place. He's looking around like it was. He was the perfect encapsulation, encapsulation of former player and fan in one moment. There, it was superb. Yeah, Nick. I mean, this is one of those situations where we can grant the vested interest. Like, uh, we're, we're not. We're genuinely not fussed about bias here at any point. No, uh, the, the the kind of almost very deliberate use of we in there, mm. uh, entirely acceptable in international football, not in club football, but um, yeah, just 
a a fan the, the fan in someone taking over is uh, in, enormously um, sort of enjoyable. And um, a classic element of a football commentary when he's he's mid-flow, but then he sees a player reacting and suddenly has to stop himself and says, look what it means to him. Yes, yes. Lovely stuff. Really good textbook stuff. So that was him sort of letting it all out. But of course, the job of a co-commentator, Dave, is to, is to offer his analysis of a situation. So here it was. What a minute to love it. I don't even know who scores it. It's a big shot. That's big shot. off his chest. Brilliant. He's onside. He continues his run. It. Just get it over the line. It got over the line. Brilliant. <laughs> I think I'm glossing over it a, a little bit here, Dave. But a commentator not knowing who scored in this case seems quite excusable. One hundred percent. And he and he, he owns it as well. You know, it'd be easy to sort of fudge it and wait until you definitively see. But he's yeah. In the pandemonium, in the pandemonium, I don't know. I don't even know who scored. Is it McTop? It is McTominay. And also, the, 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 one of the things about McCoyst at the, uh, in particular at the Euros, was that he always, would always, like, if it was a, a game he had no emotional involvement in, when when someone scored a goal, he would always spot the th- the crucial thing in the move, like on first look, where it was a take any normal person two or three replays yeah, to see yeah, it. Yeah. Um, in that, in that, and it provides some very cogent analysis as to why the goal was scored. That time, not only did he not know who had scored the goal, he kept saying "brilliant, brilliant, brilliant" about. A, a goal that just just sort of hit the bloke yes, and went exactly. in. There was no, it kind of hit his hit McTominay's hip and sort of looped into the roof of the net. Well, I mean, at this point, I should say, we, we, I feel like we're cutting McCoyst a little bit too much slack simply <laughs> for, for, by virtue of him being Ali McCoyst. But I think I can't think of a goal where if I played the audio to someone who didn't know what had happened, the chasm between the quality <laughs> of goal they thought had happened <laughs> and the goal that had actually been scored is probably the biggest possible. And I don't care. It's fine. Um. So this this brings us to the icing on the cake, which is uh, McCoy's kind of sort of rounding off his enjoyment of this goal. Great header, Jack Henry, tremendous header, pal, and that's where you want him. I tell the kids all the time, hang about the back post, you'll always get goals. There you are, get in. <laughs> right, in between all the genuine. You know, powerful celebratory emotion there, Nick. Two wonderful staples of co-commentary for me. First of all, actually, frankly, something I've never heard before, which is a co-commentator calling a player pal. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> oh, surely. But again, fine. Absolutely Surely fine. Gray, Surely Gray must have called someone pal at I some point. I don't think he has. Not directly. He might have done it in one of his imaginary conversations. Yeah, but he maybe. wouldn't have directly addressed a player as pal. Yeah, he, he would have gone, oh, he's played his pal in there, hasn't he? He's, oh, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's, he's definitely said that, but yeah, yeah maybe, maybe he hasn't. Yeah. Um, refer to someone as his pal. Following it up, Dave, with perhaps my favourite example of um, lessons to kids everywhere. Uh, <laughs> the idea that I'm telling kids all the time, as if he's sort of walking down the street saying, if he sees a kid, so get to that back post, any, any, any child whatsoever. <laughs> just walking past like amateur matches in the park, just, eh, back post. I told you. You'll always get goals. <laughs> You'll always not get even, goals not- there. And yet they'll never forget. They'll never forget that someone told them that. I mean, why would you? Um, but all round sensational stuff. Presumably, but- um, Jonathan Pierce was watching this game at home, railing against there being. Where's where is the Israeli man on the post? Modern game. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, Jonathan Pierce must be absolutely seething. Absolutely seething. Um, but speaking of proper football men, back to domestic matters, Nick. It seems that by the time this podcast airs, there are, I would 
estimate there's about a 60% chance that Steve Bruce will no longer be employed by Newcastle United Football Club. Which, you know, and to reiterate, sticking him there on 999 games, which, as Bruce himself has said, feels like something that could only happen to him. Um, So what's next? Because, I mean, I put it to you that he's managed all the Steve Brucey clubs out there already. Where does he go next? Uh, I think um, I think Cardiff are quite Steve Brucey, which is is, is a very is quite I think is quite an obvious choice. Uh, Stoke of a few years ago were quite Steve Brucey, um, but I think he um, will complete the set and manage Middlesbrough next. Oh, okay, very interesting shout. Um, um, it's a very precise strata of the English football pyramid, Dave. Steve Brucey clubs. Yeah, I was, I would be tempted to say that Steve Bruce would finally sort of gracefully retire especially with the rumored pay packet that he's that he'll, that he'll be receiving why would it be any bigger than usual i don't know um presumably his contract is his contract but anyway and and, and you know and he just sort of gracefully walk off into the sunset but if he is on 999 mm. he's definitely going to want to tick off that he's that, got to he has to he has to Absolutely. you've got to you have you know you, man, you know imagine it's quite nice, actually, your first game for your new club being your 1,000th in, in management. Could that be peak managerial lark if you win your first game at a club and it's your 1,000th game? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, but, oh, yeah, he won't get resist. I mean, Middlesbrough is... I sort of see it with Middlesbrough, but I don't know. I think I think he might want to be away from the northeast for a bit. I don't know if I he want to so. go straight into Middlesbrough, having, having just had a few... Less than successful years at Newcastle. Um, I'm just looking at the, the championship table here. I mean, obviously, so he's already done Hull. He's d- did he do Sheffield United? He did, didn't he, early yes. on? Yeah. yeah, he's done Sheffield United uh, and Wednesday. Yeah. Well, yes, he's, he's fam- he famously managed two clubs uh, of you know both sides of various divides. So he's managed Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. He's managed Villa and Birmingham City. And, of course, he's managed Sunderland and Newcastle. So Middlesbrough would sort of fit in with that. Just looking at his other list of clubs, he's, he, there was a, a very brief spell at Crystal Palace. So maybe for completists' sake, Brighton could be an option. <laughs> I, I, I suspect Brighton will have slightly slightly elevated. Can't see them uh, going down the Bruce route, Brighton. <laughs> not really. No. I mean, uh, 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 who are who are Hull's big rivals? I don't know. Le- uh, Leeds, are they? Guess mm, so. I don't know. I mean, Derby. If Rooney finally decides to to that he's had enough of this. Oh sure, the world cannot take the the kind of world weariness of Steve Bruce if he has to deal with a club kind of with eighteen points deducted or whatever it is. I, I think we're all very much in the in the correct ballpark here. Here's a, over to our listeners, though. Charlie Taylor says, hashtag Brucey to be in. Um, how <laughs> be in sports is Steve Bruce, Nick? Yeah, I mean, he is... Um, he, he's already got the, the proper football man nickname, Brucey. Mm. He, he, he must it's know... Straight in, wouldn't it? Yeah, he must know Keys and Grey. He's, he's, you know, probably pals with them. And, yeah, he has he has a sort of... The other thing that will happen now is um, I can't remember between which two jobs it is, but he went on a massive health kick like between two of yeah. his previous jobs mm. and came back to whatever I think it may have been Villa looking like a new man. So this, you know, a few trips out to Doha uh, will um, will help in in that respect. He'll come back with a nice tan. Lost a bit of weight. He'll watch some cricket. I'm not sure. Mm. I think again, going back to this massive payout. Could lead to a few slap-up lunches for Steve <laughs> in the near future. 
and rightly so. Absolutely. Who could blame Absolutely him? Absolutely fine. Fair play to him. Um, James Kent uh, offers an um, entirely new avenue that we haven't covered yet. He says, had Ireland failed to beat another European minnow in Azerbaijan recently, Bruce was nailed on to become their next manager. Still think it happens eventually. Bruce managing your James McLean's, your Shane Duffy's at international level just feels so right. Is he, a, is he an Ireland manager? I like Steve. I like the idea of Steve Bruce tackling the international management game. Definitely. It's, always, it's always talked about as like something that Mourinho and Pep will do one day when they've yeah. achieved all they need to achieve in the club game. Well, Steve Bruce yeah, is kind of very much, very much in that same bracket. The man's done all he can do in the club game. As, as, as is evidenced by us scouring the league tables and not really finding anyone <laughs> appropriate for him. Ireland would be brilliant. And mm. I bet he'd be able to find a grandparent or something. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I was definitely going to say it. Ireland is particularly good because um, they've obviously have they have Stephen Kenny at the moment. The idea be uh, of his appointment being that you know a philosophy manager to get them playing nice football. Now they've discovered that doesn't work and they keep losing games. Just get Brucey into you mm. know you know steady the ship or whatever you know whatever phrase you want to use. I mean, but I mean, what really seals the deal for me, Nick, is that of all the managers out there who I sense may be sick and tired of the day to day buzz of of the domestic game it's probably Steve Bruce yeah and, and it is it, uh, uh, for, for him anyway I, I, can't, I don't know if you remember between for, for kind of understandable family reasons between him taking over uh, between leaving Aston Villa and taking over Sheffield Wednesday he basically went to uh, the Caribbean to watch some watch the cricket he delayed taking over at Sheffield Wednesday which I don't think they were you know enormously happy about but it was reasons connected to, to his parents yeah, yeah. he's time this is timed perfectly because he you know if he can get out to Australia this is a, uh, a couple of months watching the cricket over there he'll come back someone will be in trouble in January and he'll get his thumbs game then does have to work absolutely perfectly um, Dave I want to give the last word here to Johnny Sharples who's who's thought about this um, worrying detail Steve Bruce is either taking Scott down over to the Indian Super League as his star signing for Kerala Blasters or he's brought in to just offer a bit of guidance to Wayne Rooney after Mike Ashley's protracted takeover of Derby County um, yeah, we did touch on Derby a minute ago, but uh, that, that seems like a very almost too Steve Brucey career path. Yeah, I see. The, the the thing is, you go. Why do you go to India or Australia? More, more so, India, I suppose. It's because you you really want the money, right? So that's why guys like I think you know Phil Brown had a spell out there, didn't he? Uh, John Gregory's still out there, I think. Um, yes. Peter Reed has been over there. You sort of think easy payday. I'll go over there. I'll give it a crack. They're probably paying me silly money. Well, Steve, you know, Steve Bruce has had so many jobs and so many payouts. Surely he does not need the money to go and live in India and, you know, and, and be manager of Kerala Blasters or whoever it Pune FC or whoever it might be. I, I think I think the um, the social media unveiling alone will be enough to tempt him. I feel like he would get a really good uh, social media unveiling. Here's here's another suggestion, uh, a symbolic one re- referencing his playing career. England B. Oh, famously didn't uh, n- never won an England senior cap. Mm. Capped once for England B. There you go. It'd be great to have finally have the first permanent England B manager, and not someone <laughs> exactly. who's just roped in for, for a game or two. <laughs> I, I, someone should just declare themselves the permanent England B manager. It's, it's clearly they're up for grabs. No one really appoints you. Um, yeah, maybe Steve Bruce could do that. Um, big, big international tug of war between the England B and Ireland coming up, clearly. Um, but yeah, it feels like we've solved it. So, Steve, your options are wide open. <laughs> wide open. Worrying scenes elsewhere, though, Dave worrying scenes because um, you may have picked up on the offside Farago 
of the Nations League. Mm. Um, now, this is this is a slightly different um, dilemma, but worrying stories coming from Italy. Uh, this is from Football Italia, who say that according to Sky Sport Italia, FIFA are proposing modifications to the offside rule and they could be tested in Italy during the under-18 matches. The plans would allow for a window of space between the body of the striker and defender rather than the current extremely slender gap that is highlighted by VAR reviews. Dave, you know what this is? It's daylight. It's daylight. <laughs> They've rebadged it, you fool. Yeah, they have, <laughs> exactly. They? I mean, yeah, what comes through a window? But daylight. Of course, you may remember that we uh, we talked about the Italian for six-pointer the other day. Oh, yeah. Um, well, do you know what the Italian for daylight is? No. Luce del giorno. That's which nice. uh, really sexes up the idea of a um, manifestly uh, inadequate offside system. Let's just bring in Peter Walton for this one. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, of course, the Darren, it is the old Lucha del Giorno rule here. <laughs> well, I mean, evidently possible if the Italians make a, make a huge success of it, Nick, that we, that we could have a new entry into the language of football. But, um, but, but daylight is, um, is one of the biggest fallacies of modern English football, isn't it? Yeah, it no, doesn't matter how, how much you try and make it sexy with some you know, with Italian turn up terminology or, or anything like that. It's still nonsense. Good, good. Um, skirting dangerously close to discussing offside here, so we won't go any further with that. But yeah, everyone beware, daylight is coming. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Now, Dave, fascinating WhatsApp you sent me this weekend. Simply reads thus: Walked past a pub advertising the Diamond League earlier. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Never I did. heard of this. Couldn't believe it. Life. I couldn't believe it. I was really annoyed actually that I didn't stop and take a photo of it. But yeah, it had. So it had three things. It was um, Manchester Derby, mm. which was uh, WSL Manchester mm. Derby at lunchtime on Saturday. There was. I can't remember what the thing was in the middle. I think it was F. Was it maybe F one qualifying or something? Christ. And then and then it was Diamond League. As the as the as the main event, didn't specify any of the individual yeah. athletic events. Bearing just the in, whole diamond. League. It's like bearing in mind that you know that night was one of the most amazing heavyweight fights mm. oh, <laughs> in ages. Course, yeah. In ages, no, no, no. Didn't but didn't pay the going rate for that. Yeah. But we have got diamond league athletics. I mean, Nick, does does athletics work as a pub going sporting spectacle for you? I don't think so. You don't. I don't think you get really kind of the the eight hundred meter ultras showing up in the kind of. <laughs> You know, vests and numbers on the front. You know, cheering on whoever it is. No, it doesn't. Doesn't work. It's too. It's too confusing as a sort of as a kind of all, all round spectacle for it to work in the pub. No. I've never thought of it as a TV spectacle, let alone in a pub. But Dave, the idea of sort of turning up and you've missed the start of the ten thousand meters or something. So how's it been going so far? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What's it been like? <laughs> what time's the steeplechase on? Um, although weirdly, weirdly. One of my, 
I, I'd probably say the earliest memory I have of watching sport in a pub was athletics. Really? Yes. I remember the pub. The pub. It was the. It was, I think the pub was called the Cases Altered in Old Reading, which is sort of near near Harrow, Stanmore Way, and. Um, I seem to remember, I mean, this is probably one of those things where you're taking like three things and you're making it into one fully formed memory in your head. In sure. reality, it probably wasn't like that. But I seem to remember Carl Lewis. It was Carl Lewis versus Linford Christie. Went back when they were the sort of big, the two big main sprinters. And it was, would it have been the Olympics? I don't think it was the Olympics, though. I think it was just like a random, well, maybe world championships no, that, or something. The weird thing about athletics in the mid-90s is that you would have had someone like Carl Lewis and Olympia Christie going head-to-head in someone like Gateshead in the rain. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was that. But it was definitely yeah. on. I remember it. I remember clear as day watching it on a tiny, tiny screen. Well, it was on terrestrial sit, TV. Yeah, so no excuses. If you are going to watch any athletics, that's, that's it, surely. The 100-metre final it. is but quite good. But now I good. think about it, yeah. Nick. Elite level sprinting or, you know, elite level human performance in something so easy to consume like athletics. Actually quite a good pub watching sport after all. Maybe maybe just a, a certain type of, not, not athletics brackets general, just, you know, the, the 100 metres. But the, the 100 metres, for me, there's too much uh, go for a piss and miss it. <laughs> Uh, danger. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Yes. <laughs> you know, if if you build your evening around going to watch going to watch the hundred meters, and you know, you just oh, it'll, it'll be all right. I'll just nip to the toilet now. And it, and even in in the toilet itself, if you were, if you were listening for the reaction, you wouldn't. I mean, the reaction's not going to tell you anything because that's. Yeah. Not sure what the cheer would sound like for 100 metres. Anyway, um, we're labouring on this point a little bit too long. I just wanted to set the scene for consuming live sport in a pub setting. But before I do that, a sm- another brief tangent to go down. Um, fascinated by this, Dave, this was during the mid-pandemic low point of August 2020. And there was a story of a, a landlord of a Staffordshire pub who was accused of simply not enforcing his... Uh, coronavirus directives in his pub strongly enough and his name i shit you not the landlord of this pub was called custodio pinto (laughs) custodio pinto (laughs) custodio pinto it's true his name i checked is actually custodio pinto this the most it's like the landlord in the fast show kind of also smacks of um like someone being asked someone filling out the the forms to uh, to own a pub and like the bit, like the end of the usual suspects, where he's looking around at the boards and the, <laughs> the bottom of the guy's cup for inspiration, and he's just uh, pub. All right, yeah, custo- yeah, yeah, that, that'll do, that'll do. Yeah, presumably he goes in goal for the pub team. Um, yeah, very much so. But yeah, just wanted to squeeze that in. Now, Nick, one of the first myths about pubs and football that I want to tackle. Now that VAR is up and running, and seemingly here to stay. Surely it's time that someone conducts a survey into, about, into whether it really has eliminated all post-match chat in the pub. Because there were always those fears, what are we going to talk about in the pub afterwards? Um, that's never been cleared up. Do we all sit silently in pubs now? I can't remember. I don't know. I, I, I've always been slightly divorced from this because I don't think I've ever discussed a, a um, contentious refereeing decision in the pub. But also, but it does surely... the the. It, the nature of watching football in in the pub is that some people are going to be kind of half interested anyway. So if they don't, if they see a goal and then it gets ruled out, that's just going to enhance the confusion, isn't it? They, they, they sort of half see a goal out of the corner of their eye and then it turns out it's been disallowed. That's just going to make, make things a complete mess. In the eyes of many, Dave, 
this kind of melting pot of footballing intellects all in one place can pose something of a problem. For example, overhearing factual errors in football-related pub conversations. I think it's a true test of someone's character about how can you contain the fact that you know better than the, you know them saying that, I don't know, Wayne Rooney's, what, what 50 now, is he? <laughs> I can't contain that, no. I'm afraid I have too, all too often been that man. Mm. and lent over and oh no i've got to be honest yeah you've overheard strangers getting things wrong and corrected them i think if you if you if you tag i think on the end no i think he's a i think he's a ipswich now i think (laughs) as if as if you're kind of helping but also not sure yourself that's the way to do it there um I, i tell you what this happened recently it wasn't in the pub wasn't in the pub it was at a stadium, right? It was when I was at Watford v Newcastle. There was there were three young lads sitting behind me, youngish lads sitting behind me, and the Newcastle fans were chanting something at one of the Watford players, and they were going, and they couldn't work out what it was, and they all came to the conclusion that it was something to do with um, Southampton, and they were going, oh Southampton, yeah Southampton, Southampton bastard, Southampton, Southampton bastard. He must have played for Southampton. I, and I couldn't help but turn around and go, actually, actually they were saying sad Mackham bastard. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a public service, if yeah. anything. Yeah, you're less of a correction, more of you. You know, you really are setting them straight. Now that's that's quite right. I kind of I'll allow that. Nick, any. Any urges to correct people in pubs during football matches? No, I'm I'm of the far more snide school of if I'm with someone else and I overhear someone getting something outrageously wrong, I will smugly say to the person I'm actually with, <laughs> this idiot thinks that... You know. <laughs> Fine. No, yeah. no, no, I'm more converted to that side of things. Um, let's talk about the, um, the geography of this, Dave. Um, what kind of setup are you after? Because, I mean, there are, there are so many um, ways to get annoyed with how football is kind of set up in a pub to watch. Screens can be too big. There can be too many of them. Mm. Um, projectors, yes or no? It's it's really is a minefield. Well, I mean, what's your ideal set out? When you're walking into a pub to watch a game of football, you know, on the hoof, what do you want to see in front of you? Yeah, projectors are really, you can it can be all feast or famine with projectors. You can, you know, if the lighting's not right, if it's, if it, the angle's not right, if it's too high, if it's yeah, I I, I only I kind of will accept a projector for a big big England game in a tournament where everyone's standing. Yeah, sure. And it's that's fine. Whereas if it's just the sort of Champions League game that happens to be on in the background on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, mm-hmm. I want preferably between a fifty-five and a seventy-inch TV. <laughs> Good range. Um, and I want it to be. I don't want to have to crane my neck too yeah. high. That's key. This is this yeah. is absolutely key. Yeah the, yeah, the height has to be just right because if you, you you want to be sitting down because no one will like standing up to watch football mm-hmm. in a pub. Um, so you 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 can't you, you have to be sat fairly close because otherwise if you sat too far away then people are going to get in your way and you can't be. Uh, yeah, you, you can't be sort of hurting your neck, looking so, up too high. So what we're saying here is preferably you want to be about, I don't know, six feet away, maybe sitting on a soft chair. Yeah, exactly. I, I can see where you're going with this. I can see where you're going with this, Dave. With not too many other people around. Yeah. It's antisocial, yeah. but yeah. No, but yeah, obviously fully in agreement. Um, interesting, we talk about, we're talking about neck angles here because, um, Nick, you know, maybe just once in my life, I want to live the American dream and that is getting a seat at the bar and just watching an unobstructed, modestly sized screen above me, behind the person working at the bar. How they do it in the US. That feels like the way I'd want to watch football. 
and uh, and also happen to be sat next to someone with the same a similar amount of interest in what you're watching as well mm. so you can kind of nudge them and go how about those Mets or whatever it is that Americans yeah. say about sport and only being interrupted by like a global disaster on the TV yeah. where they have to switch over to <laughs> so, it someone, that. someone runs into the bar and goes <laughs> put CNN on yes that, that's the dream yeah the end of the world but watching my team in, in the most ergonomic way possible in a pub you do know there is a pub quite near the new HQ of the Athletic UK that will offer you such a such a, a service. Is that right? Yes, I'll show Central it to you. London. Good lord! Um, uh, on on this theme of of seating arrangements in pubs, Dave Graham Pascoe, who appears to be a psychopath, writes <laughs> a highlight of watching football in a pub is being that guy in the pub who is really early for the match and has to keep hold of a table and five extra chairs for mates coming later on. Love knocking people back with the sorry that seat's taken, mate. It's a genuine joy. I have not got the discipline, the the thick skin, or the physical presence to do this. One of the most surely that's one of the most anxiety-inducing situations Awful. you can imagine. Because you can't imagine anything worse. Because one you, seat you, would be hard for me, but five, keeping five seats back from people flooding into a pub. Because you, you've already got the well, I mean, this is for me anyway. You've got you've already got the irritation that your your friends are late. So you, that is then so exacerbated by the eyes of everybody in that pub who's standing up, just staring at you. And then what's what, what's the cutoff where you have to give up the seats? Is it is it kickoff? Is it you know half time? Ten minutes into the game? I mean, that would seem a sensible way of doing it. I mean, I imagine what really happens is that people have a breaking point of the number of people who've asked them. Yeah. Which is, you know, once you get to the fourth or fifth, and then then you start to worry about the first person that asked you about whether that they've been shortchanged. Yeah. It's a really is political minefield. But but Dave, then there's the reverse problem where you need a seat and you see one one single one that is available, and you know that there's going to be a very tense exchange. I mean, you must have been in that position, right? Or are you a stander? I think I would stand in that situation. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. Again, though, it, it entirely depends on the makeup of the pub. How many screens are there? Can I can I perch at the bar and effectively still watch it? Is there a smaller screen somewhere that's with the colour settings not quite as good as the main one? <laughs> but I, I'll I'll live with it because I have to. It's like a. It's like there's some in some pubs, Nick. You really have to. You know, you have to scout the place first. There's like a blind spot. There's always like a patch of floor that no one's standing in. And naively, you walk into it thinking, well, this must be perfect for me. And then you realise you're blocked in every direction. And then everyone looks at you and goes, yeah, he's just realised. Two or three people at the bar just kind of looking at their mates going, that was us 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a question for you on this, which I experienced recently. It was when I was watching the North London Derby a few weeks ago. You're in a pub. You're, you're, met, you're with, say, the six of you. You're on a table, three either side, facing each other. There's a big screen... Big projector one side, and there's other little ones elsewhere around the pub. Do you turn around with your back to your friends to all watch the projector, or do you stay sit, stay seating so you're so, being sociable and still facing your friends, but look to the right to the smaller screen that's up in the corner? I would be the latter. Yeah, I would be the latter as well. Yeah, but, but I mean, generally, when you have a when you have options open to you, I find a genuine selection headache. Having Watching football on multiple screens. Because every time you switch screen, you think that people are looking at you going, well, why has he done that? <laughs> yeah. Like, why? And you have to test them out. And there's that moment of like, mm, I'm not comfortable with this, but I'll give it another five minutes just to see <laughs> yeah. whether whether I'm, oh, I'm going to have to move now. I'm going to have to do it. And then, yeah. 
there's a logistical concern. I think if I was on if I was on a chair, I'm definitely looking at the staying facing the rest of the table. But if I'm on a stool, that's obviously slightly easy to sort of spin around. Yeah, and so, standing standing is you know that's the most versatile situation of all. Yeah. I mean, you probably you opt for the projector. Anything then. goes when you're standing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Fascinating stuff. I I asked our listeners for the joys and irritations of watching football in the pub, but it quickly became purely irritations, which I'm delighted to uh, to accommodate. Um, it, most of these, Nick, oddly enough, seem to stem from simply not being in control of the audio visual experience. I feel like it's that detachment from it really seems to annoy people, especially if they've got a proper vested interest in the game. So let's kick off with this one from James Fielden. He says, the the person with the Sky remote taking a painful amount of time oh, to find the right channel. So and annoying. I, I think, Nick, it's made worse. The frustration of this is made down, worse. Down, you can't down, see this person. one more down. Yeah, you don't know where they are. <laughs> so you, it's even more annoying that they can't do it because you can't see them. To it's on BT Sports. <laughs> when they tab down about four channels too far from where they're supposed to be and then they sort of slowly edge back oh, up. Why have they put the golf on? <laughs> Dave is very invested in this. I can say well, there, there, it is. It is a, a, a one of the most one of the more panic-inducing moments when they they go to BT Sport Two when it's clearly on BT Sport One, <laughs> and they leave it leave it on there for a few minutes, and you're yes, like, are yeah. they are, are they going to spot the mistake, or do I need to and do I have to wait until they come back up from the fucking cellar that the skybox is in for some reason? This can lead to conspiracy theories amongst the patrons of the pub. You're looking around thinking, has somebody asked them? As, yeah. as, as some daring bloke said, go on, will you put the rugby on for me? And they've gone with it when it clearly wouldn't be the majority decision in the pub. Well, that, that's another niche concern of mine. I, I, I don't think I'm an enormously socially uh, anxious person, but I, I'm, for some reason, absolutely terrified of asking asking in a pub to put a relatively niche match on. Like, I, I'm a Forest fan. If the Forest are on TV, clearly, in, if I'm in a pub in London... I'm going to be the only person that will want to watch that. And, you know, I'm not going to ask them to switch Arsenal v Chelsea over. But even if it's just sort of, I don't know, golf or some bullshit on that no one's watching, I get incredibly nervous about saying, do you, do you mind putting Forrest against uh, Sheffield United on, please? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it feels like a wholesome thing to ask. I mean, I feel like they'd take pity on you because it's second tier. I don't know. They'd be more accommodating. Yeah. Um, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't sense any arrogance, no Premier League arrogance mm. from you. And there's, um, always, there's always that... You always have that thought of, can they split the screens? Can they <laughs> yeah, just put yeah. put the forest on the corner and yeah. have the Premier League on the main one? Is that mm. possible? Yeah, but then I'm explaining sure. that to sometimes you just get a, you get a, a member of staff who know what you, you you immediately know whether they know what they're doing with the remote <laughs> or not, and it's just something you have to try and explain it. Oh, it's can you change it? And they don't know. No. Mm. Just it's... give me the remote. I'll do it. <laughs> just adding stress to their lives. I feel terrible. Um, Leon Farr introduces this scenario, Nick. He says a pub screen displaying the this TV will automatically turn off in 30, 29, 28 message, uh, which can make grown men go from mildly irritated to feral in seconds. Oh, I, Apocalyptic, especially if this happens in the final five minutes. I, I panic if a rumble that, of discontent. I remember this. Yeah, I panic if that happens in my living room. And I'm just <laughs> like, hey, shit, Jesus, where's the remote? Where's the remote? Where, where, have you got the remote? Have you got the remote? Where is it? And it's down the back of the sofa and you, you, can't, you can't miss like a second of the game. So you have to, you know, so yeah, terrible. It takes a brave man to like go up to the TV and feel around the back with a <laughs> manual button. Don't yeah. do that in a pub. 
Because no, uh, things will go if, wrong and you'll no be blamed. If there's no sign of the man with the remote and there's mm. 10 seconds until the end of the world, <laughs> what are you going to do? But what what if you... Um... The red one, the green one, the red one. <laughs> <laughs> what if you have, uh, you've spotted where they keep the remote behind the bar? Oh, do you then... I've never handled a pub's remote in my life. Do, do, do you, I mean, uh, the, 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 the bar... The bar people are busy. They're serving pints. They're doing what they should do. The the, the countdown's on. Do you take control of the situation and you, reach over? I you think can't in that go behind the bar circumstance. That's if it was the TV itself and not the channel selection from the skybox. I think you could get away with it because because you, you could instantly tell them what you're doing. You wouldn't be saying, "Oh, like, I'm fiddling around with the channels." I think you could make clear quite quickly what you're doing, so that would be all right. But there's still a chance you could get chucked out. That's what I'm saying. Right, moving on. Ben Macklin says, I watched all of England versus Wales, Dave, in Euro 2016 in a pub on a big screen with subtitles on. The words took up at least a third or a half of the screen and the bar manager couldn't turn them off. Oh, half God. of the screen? Uh, Jesus. Because I think you can increase the size of them, you know, for accessibility <laughs> reasons. So, uh, yeah. But um, the thing is about subtitles with football, they are well behind the action. Bless the people who do them. I watched, Tough job. Um, I've seen it in action. I watched the Europa League final between Chelsea and Arsenal, the one in Baku. Weird, in a weird, I don't know how I got into the situation, but I watched it in like a weird private cinema in some flat in, in like the city <laughs> in London. It was about, and there was literally about five people there. Okay. But again, similar situation. They had the subtitles on, but not only were they behind the action, they were completely, obviously not what the commentator was saying. You know, like a bad Google Translate or something. Yeah. Um, just man manhandling uh, Ian Dark's words. Uh, out of all proportion. But yeah, so it, it's completely futile. Even if you are somebody that needs to watch, needs the subtitles for accessibility reasons, you're not getting the, you're not getting the commentary. You're just getting gibberish. Accessibility aside, I mean, Nick, I went through a phase in my life of having to have subtitles on TV. I just got addicted to them because, it, you know, once I found 888 on, on CFAX, that was it. That was my life was complete. <laughs> Might as well have all the information is basically the logic I had. But no, football, <laughs> I draw the line. Just don't need it. Was I mean was the logic that oh, oh this, so the, this was just for normal TV programs not not for just, football just generally yeah right. just generally just have it on once you have them on I just couldn't stop basically right. for a long time how did you wean yourself off it can't remember maybe it was the sort of digital era um, where it became a little bit harder to get the subtitles on because you couldn't just go to CFAX and hit eight 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 just um, in in the priory what are you here for subtitles. <laughs> Tony Adams coming in to give me a real pep talk. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I can see it happening. Um, but yeah, I think we, yeah, we think we've established that the football and subtitles don't go together. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Tom Yates, Nick, says putting music on at half time 
and then failing to put the commentary back on when the second half starts every single time. Um, what, what is it about having to put music on half time? Is it to placate the non-football people? I suppose it must be, but I, I, the, the there is a, a, a two or three minutes of tension uh, towards the end of half time where you, where you do think, are they going to put the commentary on? But also, I get I, I would get irritated by seeing the half time analysis on the screen but not knowing what they're saying. I'm just thinking, what's Sunes saying? Well, really? yeah, okay. This, this is an interesting part of it because I mean, I, I assumed that that would be the source of the frustration, Dave, like not being able to hear the experts chatting at half-time. Now, personally, I can take it or leave it. If I'm in a pub, I probably don't need to hear the, the punditry, but I get why some people might do. But travelling teacher, which is a whole other angle to it, which makes perfect sense. He says, I hate it when, usually in a walkabout or a chain pub, the TV sound gets muted on the exact stroke of half-time and pub starts blasting music instead. It takes you right out of the moment. Which is, it, it totally does, especially after a game, like it can, the buzz of a game, and then suddenly there's just some random music comes on, and you just think, well, uh, everything's been cut off. Yeah, I suppose that is what happens at actual football matches, though, as well, isn't it? But I'm, <laughs> well, sort, yeah, I'm, sort, I'm of. sort of with the pub here because whilst, yes, whilst I understand that sometimes you might want to hear what Sunis or whoever is saying at half time, adverts are not good for pub ambience, are they? You and and the little. Sky advert bits and the adverts and mm. the punditry. Yeah, when it's just the noise of a commentator in the crowd, that's fine. When it's a mishmash of songs, talking, bits, swooshes, noises, play some music. Interesting you say that. Uh, here's one for my fellow misophonia sufferers out there, Nick. Um, Elliot Newstead says, when the pub has the volume too high so that the Sky Sports noise to signal graphics for substitutions is simply too piercing. It is too loud. I mean, generally, the, yeah. the, the evolution of the Sky Sports substitution sound has gone too metallic for me. <laughs> you know what? I've done my research. For, 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 for a sort of semi-regular guest on, uh, on this podcast, it's, that is genuinely a minutiae of football that I haven't thought about. I'm, and now I'm, that's all, gonna, all I'm going to be able to hear next time I watch Football it on used Sky. To be, it used to be kind of like a gentle swoosh, like... Whoosh. Mm. Whoosh. And then it then it became more like a sword being unsheathed. So like, <laughs> shing, shing, shing. <laughs> and and in it, I can imagine in a pub that must be quite annoying, but a gentle sort of warm whoosh has a bit of bass to it, which I think could work quite well in a pub. Dave, Dave, you're an audio man. I You know a thing or two. <laughs> yes. Uh, previously I don't think I would have had a much of an opinion on this until twenty-four hours before we recorded this podcast. I attended the NFL game at the Tottenham mm. Hotspur Stadium between the right. New York Jets and, crucially, the Atlanta Falcons. And what they did every time that the Falcons got a first down, I'm not going to explain it. If you don't know what it is, it's just a thing that's a good thing to happen if you're an yeah. American football team. Like a scrum. They, yeah. They played the noise of a falcon screeching <laughs> really loud through that enormous PA system. Very and they did it. And they did it. It was just once, like the whole game. Every time they got a first down, they went, that's another first down. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Did they, did they do horrible. that in the US? They must have brought it over with them. They yeah, can't no, I don't think it's it a thing. Us. I think it's a thing that they do at their home stadium. Oh, but, um, good Lord. yeah, it was not not good. More or less annoying than the Sky Sports substitution swoosh. That's the main point. Way more. Oh, okay. Okay. So what the, what the US giveth, Nick, in terms of ergonomic football watching... 
um, situations in pubs, they taketh away with annoying sounds during the broadcast. So where do you where do you sit now? I don't know what to do. Wondering. Uh, I mean, that must have been absolutely terrifying. The first 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 time it happened when you weren't expecting it. What the hell? I mean, are, are we being attacked by some kind of it giant falcon? Little, from it took me a couple of goes to realise that that's what it was as well. That it was the sound of a falcon. Yeah dystopian scene here from Elliot Binks Nick he says not strictly a pub but I watched Spurs nil Liverpool nil in Cardiff walkabout in 2015 as it was the only venue not filled with rugby fans as the World Cup was on 12.45 pitch black stood on the dance floor music on full blast watching a dodgy projector it was awful I think he ticks all the boxes for the worst possible experience of watching football there that sounds absolutely nightmarish mm. you would you would come out of that on a dance floor yeah you would you would come out of that so completely disoriented you would yeah. just and not in a cool kind of I've on. just been to the cinema kind of way either. no absolutely not in a in a sort of are you, in my student days, I used to um, spend hours and hours in a, a, snoo- a windowless snooker hall, uh, and coming out of that was just just incredibly disorienting. So, uh, and it was nil nil. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and yeah, throw in the dance floor as well. well that's what I was going to say. The dance floor was it? Were there people? Were there people dancing on this? Dance? <laughs> I assume not. Not at twelve forty-five. It's but... like when you're in one of those weird, you know, edgy, edgy nightclubs that has like a random film playing in the background, and they just have, I, they I... just put Liverpool nil, Spurs nil on. Just I was fun. in one once, which had um, a fishing program on Sky Sports three with sign language. <laughs> Which definitely was a sign that I was either in the yeah. wrong place or that it was time to go. Presumably, home. you said, can you, "Can you put the something on? <laughs> can you put the fishing on with uh, with sign language, please." <laughs> Latest fishing action. Um, uh, of course, Nick, we should re- uh, remember the brief dalliance with 3D. Oh, that came yeah. and went, didn't it? I, I, I didn't have the pleasure myself, but it, it was oh, very very silly. I did. I watched a. Oh. I can't remember what, what game it was. It presumably was one of the quite quite big games. But I watched that in a in a pub in Newcastle with the 3D glasses. It was shit. It added glasses. It absolutely added absolutely nothing to the experience. It was vaguely vaguely 3D, but actually mainly all the players were just kind of surrounded by the green and the red sort of hue. So yeah, it was a complete waste of time. I yeah. saw a Merseyside derby in briefly. Um, for for a few minutes before I abandoned it in 3D, and I had a restricted view. It was a Goodison <laughs> Park. It was like so low down, like the bloody pillars in the stands were a picture of it. <laughs> in, in way that, in a way, that's authentically brilliant way of doing 3D. You know, just the real, you know, everything, anything could happen. A, a massive concrete pylon could get in the way, but no, I completely see. Now I'm kind of glad that that died a death, um, much like all the other uh, football watching. Um, Experiments like fan zone and and whatnot. Um, now we're moving into we're moving away from irritation territory more to football in the pub agony aunt territory here. Nick, we have some quandaries from our listeners. Ben White asks, "What's the correct etiquette when observing a minute silence when watching in a pub?" Um, I I think I have experienced this before, and I think there is a sort of there is a general hubbub where people, the people that aren't really paying attention to the game, will just keep talking, and very occasional shh from the people that are oh, kind right. of you active know, shushing. Yeah, 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 active yeah, shushing. yeah, yeah, observing it. Dave, um, I think I think my strategy here would be to kind of just pretend I'm doing something else, but quietly, like going through my phone. Yeah. So it's kind of similar to when you have like um, the minute silence for Remembrance Day if you happen to be at work in the office and it's like 11am 
on the mm. 11th of November on a Tuesday and like the manager comes out the office and says right gonna do the silence and you just sit at your desk because some people just tap away quietly. Yeah, don't You're tap. Click, click of a yeah, mouse. Sort of shuffle. You do something else, but Walk clearly the not. the water machine. Yeah, don't be seen to be doing it, but also yeah. respect it. It's a yeah. very fine line. <laughs> God. <laughs> Pressure's on for uh, for next month anyway. Um, Will Tucker adds to this. Uh, this story does not start promisingly, Nick, but I assure you it gets there. He says, it's not football and I wasn't even there, but I heard of someone recently being told to respect the kicker when they were talking during a rugby game in the pub. <laughs> oh, God. So rugby. So spirit of rugby, isn't it? The sort of... The, the, the implication being that you were putting the kicker off. Yes. But it, clearly it transcends the game itself and it's more about respect. Fucking hell. Dave, Sam gives us this scenario. It says, judging how much to drink and at what pace when you're watching a game alone in a pub... Um, two pints usually isn't enough unless you're happy sat with an empty glass for the last 20 three gives you the opposite problem I always like to sort of because you, you, you want to sort of div, you've got, you divide it by the halves right so how many do you have in the first half sets the precedent for the, if I have two in the first half am I going to have two in the second half then that's four pints then you're in you know you could be in trouble but you're definitely going to want more than one pint in the first half are you really <laughs> why well I think I, or maybe I'm a fast drinker, but I think uh, I would finish a pint in... It doesn't take you 45 minutes to drink one pint. I, I, I think I can make it. I can string one out to 45 minutes, definitely. Um, just, yeah, one in the first half, one in the second half. And uh, it depends if you're hanging around afterwards. But if you're not, if you're on your own, you want to go straight out. I think but, a pint yeah, and, and how, a half is fine. How long before kickoff have you turned up? Uh, <laughs> 10 minutes before to secure my seat and that's it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, there's so many variables here. The pub, the clientele, it's a tricky one. If there's a really, if it's a really busy pub in the in a tournament setting, and there's a huge queue, do you buy yourself two, just to you know save yourself the hassle of requeuing? <laughs> I can't imagine that happening. I can't imagine being that thirsty or, or that or that or that sort of prepared for the scenario. But um, certainly one to ponder. Um, now, Nick, you may remember from our chat with Jamie Carragher the other day um, the conspiracy theory that. Um, enveloped Patrick Vieira's vapour rub on his shirt. There was a theory that it may be used for um, adhesive purposes rather than anything else. Um, I'm going to perhaps blow your mind in a similar kind of way because Arsenal Mindset has messaged in and says that they like the fact that the pint glass in the corner of the screen of a pub feed of Sky Sports changes to a martini glass when you watch Sky Sports at a bar in Italy. Italian Sky Sports is a martini glass in the corner of the screen is basically what I'm telling you. Can you believe it? I, I, uh, I can, and at the same time, I, I can't, and at the same time, I very much can believe it. Martini Dave, it's, glass. Hmm. It's such a nice touch. Does it's it have an olive? It's such a nice touch. Olive. <laughs> well, in, in, in the one image that I found, um, the little button, their equivalent of the red button is actually blue. In this picture, it looks green. So technically, yes, you get a little olive with it just, just outside the glass. But what a classy touch that is. Amazing, yeah. I mean, why is there a pint glass in the corner of the screen? Do we know? To is that signify established? that they have a legit pub account rather than just a residential. Right. Because sometimes it's a little code, isn't it? They have like those little weird numbers in the bottom mm. of the screen. Is that the same sort of thing? Yes, I think that's for online feeds, so that if you're if you're nicking it and broadcasting it to a stream, they will know who's doing it. Mm. Um, but yeah. It's more sophisticated, classier ways of designating it in Italy, Nick. I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Guinness this. in Ireland, <laughs> you'd expect, I suppose. A mojito in uh, 
Anyway. Uh, <laughs> bottle of red in France. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm glad we left that one to last because it was a, a, a lovely little flourish that I had never heard about. But uh, at the same time, it makes perfect sense. Well, um, as Newcastle are almost certainly going to be saying to Steve Bruce, it's goodbye to you, Dave. Goodbye. And, uh, and cheers to you, Nick. Goodbye. Cheers. See you everyone next time. The Athletic. <laughs>